I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the second chapter of the New Testament book of Ephesians as we are continuing our verse-by-verse sermon series through this book in our sermon series simply called Text Messages. And what I want to do is this morning, I want, I want to preach this. I really want those who are baptized this morning, I want you to hear this because this is very, very important. I want you to play, pay close attention. And for those of you who have been baptized before, I want you to pay attention too and, and remember your life before Christ. Now, let me put this chapter into context for you. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing this letter from prison and he's writing this letter to Ephesus this church in Ephesus Ephesus is a very very pagan city Ephesus is that kind of town it's that kind of city that will create its own definition of right and wrong and then it will go out and and maybe shame or pressure everyone else to kind of go along with it or is that familiar at all okay that's uh, America like on steroids that's Ephesus okay this is a this is a really hard town spiritually now the original readers of this letter were Gentiles a Gentile is simply somebody who is not a Jew they're not from the Jewish descent so these people didn't grow up hearing about Jesus they didn't grow up knowing anything about him they didn't know about the coming Messiah they weren't listening they weren't following the law that's what the Jews did that's not what what these people the Gentiles did as le- at least you and I have some understanding of God from our early years it's not like you're going to make it too far in American life without hearing something about God. But these people grew up in a culture that was very satisfied with doing whatever they wanted to, with creating their own culture and living by it and, and calling it okay. And then came Jesus. Then Christ came into the life of these original readers of this. And it's just like those of you who were baptized today. There was a time recently when you lived in the world and for the world, but something changed. Something changed when you came to Christ. It's the same thing that's happening here in this this book and in this letter. Paul is writing to Gentiles, people who were not Christians, who are now Christians. They were living a very ungodly lifestyle. And some of them, even once they did come to Christ, have continued to keep that same lifestyle in their life. I want you to join me on Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Paul writes this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. We're just going to stop there for a quick second, okay? We're going to look at the word, word, were. You were. Paul is saying that you weren't, but now you are Christians. You were not. You were literally spiritually dead. You were dead because of your your sin. Your soul decided that you were going to pay the penalty yourself. Because you chose not to. Once you learned about Christ, you chose not to accept that gift. They were dead. They were spiritually dead. Um, Some of you have heard the term uh, dead man walking. We hear that it's a prison term. And what would happen is that you've got a condemned inmate who is going to be put to death. 
And maybe it's the warden who will come to that final prison cell that he is in, will take him out of that cell, he may be in handcuffs, and that warden will yell down the hallway, dead man walking. And now he's going to walk to the execution chamber, okay? Now, it's kind of interesting because this person is not, right now, dead. He's walking, he is alive. But what is about to happen, what comes after this event is going to be death. And that's where we are. We're spiritually dead before Christ and without Christ, we are simply a dead soul living. But not for long. We're living for now, but if, if you are a life living without Christ, the warden has his hand on your shoulder and you're walking down that, that chamber to, to, just, to, to judgment. But why? Here's a question. Why were you spiritually dead? Paul says it's because of disobedience. Did you know that all disobedience is intentional? You disobey on purpose. If it's truly an accident, we don't call it disobedience, we call it an accident, right? But disobedience is never accidental. Look what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. I'm in Colossians chapter two, verse number 13, he writes this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgives all our sins. You were dead because your old life, that sin hadn't been cut off yet. But here's the three words I want to focus on this morning. God made you. You were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ. God, perfect and, and sinless, and he loves you. But here's the question, though. If God made us alive with Christ... Why are we still having these struggles in our life? I thought that things were supposed to be better, but life doesn't really seem to be better. I'm still struggling here. You know why? Here's the thing. That's what happens when we live against what it is that God wants for us. Write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time on the back of your bulletin are some fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you those answers. You can write them in. They're going to be up on the big screen behind me as well. Point number one in your notes is this. You were not made to live the way that you have been living. Pretty blunt. You are not made to live the way that you have been living. Those of you who are just baptized in Christ, you were and are designed to be holy. To be holy means to be separated from. It means to be different from. It means to be separated from common. Our world today is common. You weren't made to live as common. You were made to live holy. You were made to live separated and better. That's how we were made. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. We're moving on. Verse number 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Did you hear that? Remember, we are talking to Christians who have lived a very worldly life in a very sinful routine, and people who purposefully and willfully and knowingly rejected God's direction for their lives. 
I know what God wants. I am going to reject it. And this is where Paul gets like all up in our face here. He's telling us that we used to live in sin. You know what that comes with? That comes with the assumption that the original audience at some point removed themselves from the lifestyles of sin. Saying you used to live in that. You don't. Some translations are going to, are going to say that you, you have fallen, or maybe you're living like everyone else because you are obeying Satan. Some translations are going to call him the prince of the air or the prince of this world. And Paul has a very stern warning about obeying Satan. And he is saying point blank that it is Satan's work in hearts for those who refuse to obey God. Refusal is done on purpose. Now I'm not talking about some tribe up in the Amazons with a bone through their nose who has never heard anything about Jesus. No, I'm talking about you. We're talking about the people in your life, the people in our culture, the people who just can't get away from following the world's path. Paul straight up says, you are following, you were following Satan's direction and you were refusing God's direction. You know I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything from the pulpit, I'm not. You cannot turn something that is wrong into something that is right. If you are not following Christ, you are by default refusing Christ. And refusing Christ is something that you do on purpose. It's not an accident. Nobody accidentally refuses the gospel. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. I'm in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse number 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Satan has blinded this world that is refusing Christ. Verse 3, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. Paul says, all, all of us used to live that way. Remember, he says all. That's all Christians. Paul's including himself. That's including pastors. That's including everyone. You used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our spiritual nature. But our very nature, by, by our very nature, we were subject, we were, look, past tense, subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. You used to live for your own desires. Everyone here who was baptized today recently, recently, was that time when you used to live for your own desires. Write this down. This is point number two in your notes this morning. You were made to be changed by God. You were made to be changed by God. And being changed isn't simply something that happens once. Being changed is something that happens continually. It happens often. Something, something that you, you don't stop doing. And 
Change being continual means that who we are even now in Christ is going to be different from who we are a year from now in Christ. For those Christians here today, I, I hope to meet you a year from now, not the same that you are right now. That's, that's our growth. God made you and he formed you in your mother's womb. And he knows that you are in a very sinful world. He gets that. But he made you to be changed by him. You are not made to be changed by anyone else, by anything else. You are not made to be who it is that you tell yourself you are. You were not made to be, to be anyone else other than who God made you. You are to be changed by God. That's it. And God alone. You were made to be changed. Come back with me into Ephesians 2. I'm in verse number four. But, here's another amazing transition word. But, God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave, look, he gave you, that's grace, gave us life when he raised, when he raised Christ from the dead. Amen. Gave it to you. That is grace. Grace is an unmerited favor. It's something that we did not earn. On your own earnings, we are still a dead soul living for now until judgment day. That's the best that we can do on our own. But God gave us something that we did not earn. We have now life with Christ. Look, look at this. Here's what Paul writes again to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1:21. Paul says, "This includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies, separated him from him by your evil thoughts and actions." So the Gentiles in Ephesus, they were once far away from God. The Gentile Christians, the Gentile Christians in Galatia were once far away from God. You Christian were once far away from God. And it, and, 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 and it says that they were God's rivals. And you say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. You say, I'm not going to war against God. I'm not declaring a battle against God. I don't have a bayonet and I'm not riding a horse out in the field against, against God. You say that because you don't see yourself face to face and see God right now as an enemy, but if we are not following his direction for our lives, that's actually what the face that we have on is being an, an enemy of God, an enemy or a, a, a foe. If we're not following Christ, that's, that's, really, that's what we are by default. So Paul has been pretty blunt so far, and there's a chance that he's kind of ticked off some of his original readers. And just me, by reading this to us over the last few weeks, we've been pretty blunt. There's a chance that maybe some of you are kind of ticked off at me for taking what Paul wrote, and, and we're taking it from the year 60 AD and moving it to the year 2022 AD. But here's the question though, what are we supposed to do? Paul, okay, so this is how, how we are. How do we solve this? The church in Colossae and in Ephesus would have asked Paul, what are, what are we supposed to do? And, and maybe it's you. Maybe you're, you're asking me and you're saying, Pastor, what are, well, okay, you've tore me up. 
what am I supposed to do? And we're going to go back to Paul for the answer. I'm in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. That's the answer. It's in that first sentence right there. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. That's the answer. The Holy Spirit is God, the third member of the Trinity. Where do we hear God's word? If we are looking for a guide, how can we listen to and let the Holy Spirit guide us? It's in one place. It's in God's word. Right? The answers are in God's Word. They're in the Bible. So let God's Word in the Bible guide your life. Now we are working on our Christian walk. See that? Sometimes we stumble or sometimes we're just in this position where things just aren't going right. And really it does. It comes back. Who's your guide? Where's your guide? Paul says, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let me ask you this. If you are in Christ, and if Christ is in you, shouldn't we resemble Christ? And I know some of you say, well, I resemble Christ when I give a few dollars out to the homeless guy at the corner down by the Walmart. I resemble Christ when I do that. Or I resemble Christ when I come to church and I I learn more about God. That's kind of resembling Christ, right? Let's talk about Jesus. He is the man who never sinned. Do you and I resemble a person who never sinned? I don't see any hands up. No, probably probably not. But let me tell you another quality of Christ. And we like to gloss over this one a lot. We like to gloss over this one. Jesus Christ and sin cannot coexist without conflict. Can't happen. Point number three in your notes is this. To love God is to love what God loves and hate what God hates. You say, Pastor, did you just make me write the word hate in the sermon notes in church? Yeah, it's that important. It really is. Sin hates Jesus. And Jesus hates sin. But I wonder here, do you hate sin? See, if we're supposed to, to, to resemble Christ, if, if we are supposed to be an outward expression of Christ, I wonder if you hate that habitual sin that you have found yourself in. Ask, you, how, how, ask yourself, how much do you actually resemble Christ? How far are you willing to go to resemble Christ? I promise you that you have a stop sign somewhere in your life that you're putting up It's like that uh, meatloaf song, right? It says, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. You remember that? I'm not going to sing to you this morning. I'm not. Paul's thanking me. I know. He's like, thanks, pastor, for not singing. But many Christians will sing this. They'll sing, I will do anything for Jesus, but I won't do that. And you know what that is? I can pinpoint that for you. I really can. I won't give up my sin. That's what it is. 
That's what it's boiling down to. We will sing, I will do anything for Jesus, but I won't give up that sin in my life. And you know what we do? We just try and hide it better. That's, we, we try and cover it up a little bit more so that as if Jesus isn't going to see it. But we won't let it go. I'll do anything for Jesus, but I won't do that. But I won't go that far. Maybe it is that unbiblical lifestyle that, that, that y- y- you live every single day. Maybe it is that, that, that idea that, you know what, those white lies, they're just white lies. You'll give up anything. But you won't do that. Let me ask you, do you hate that sin as well? What, what is it that you look at on your phone when nobody else is around? in your private time. That, that is sin. But I wonder if you hate it. And a lot of times we say, well, I, I, I hate the sin. I hate the sin. We don't, but we don't go any further than that. We just say it. Like, I, I hate this. I do this, but I, I hate this. And we don't even try and get out of it. It's as if we can do nothing about it. And that's not true. It's not. Listen, listen. Listen to this. This is so important. As long as you're trying to put Jesus and sin in the same heart, there's going to be conflict. They don't belong in the same place. Are you ready for the conflict to stop? Then it's time to take action. It's time to move from just recognizing something, saying something, It's time to separate ourselves now from that sin, acceptance of our sin as who we are. You know what that really does? That's honestly, it's it's telling God, you didn't make me adequate for me. So I'm going to change me because you're not a good enough maker of me. When we sit back and think about it, kind of a dishonor to God, it's almost a slap in the face, right? To say, I need to be something else other than what God made me because God didn't make me right. I know that. God the Almighty, you don't know what you're doing. So we go and we change ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6 says this, for, it's another great transition word, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. That's so amazing to me. God looking at us as sinful and unholy as we are, he wants us, wants to see us in the heavenly realms. And it leads us to the question of like, how did that even happen? How does that happen? Verse number eight says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. You didn't do anything. You didn't earn this. For those of you who were baptized today, your soul has been saved because of something that God did, not something that you did. Paul says that salvation is a gift something that is offered to you. God gave us this gift simply because you are his child and he loves you. Listen to how Peter wraps up the entire gospel message 
The gospel is literally the good news. Peter writes this. I'm in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I am so glad that God didn't pay out our inheritance right now. And we've got that. You know what happens to people who get their inheritance early? Right? You spend it on junk. I'm so glad that God is holding on to our inheritance somewhere that it is safe. It is beyond the reach of change and decay. Isn't that amazing to hear that? That's the gospel message. That God is holy. You are not. Your sins require a death sacrifice. It's either your death or God provided a death for you. You can accept that one in your place. But see, here's the thing. And here's the question. Are you going to accept that gift? See, God's not going to force it on you. And you can't earn it. For those of you who just said in your mind, I'm a good person, you're not good enough. Not good enough to earn it. Verse number 9, Ephesians chapter 2, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul is saying, you are not good enough for salvation. You can't earn it. You can't get enough points. You can't save enough cans. You can't. You can't earn it. But some people tell themselves, they say, you know what, I am such a terrible person. If God really, really knew how bad I was, like he would want nothing to do with me. Oh, you're not too far gone. You're not. Trust me, you're not the worst he's seen. You're not. See, if if we had to earn salvation, we wouldn't be good enough. I see about nine people in this room right now who wouldn't be good enough. Everyone, everyone else? No, I'm joking with you. No one, no one would be good enough. I want you to see why, though. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm in verse number 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece. You are made to be changed by God. Are we born a masterpiece? I don't know any artist at the very first time that they put a finger paints out and created a masterpiece. We are, we are made to be changed by God. Write this down. This is the final point in your notes this morning. Point, point number four is this. Who you are when you come to Jesus Christ, should be noticeably different from who you were before Christ. Noticeably different. If the only difference is that you can tell yourself in your heart that you have come to Christ, and if nobody else can see it, there's something wrong. Now, I'm not saying 
that you're not saved. What I'm saying is there's something wrong because it should be noticeably different. What that something wrong is, it means that you still have a ways to go. That's why we call it a Christian walk. Walks don't stop, right? It's it's a continual move. It's continual growth. It's continually being changed. But if nobody can see it, if nobody knows, there's something wrong. If you still love the sin and you refuse to separate yourself from it, you still have some growing in Christ to do. Not going to lie to you. There's still some growing in Christ to do. We have to be different. For those of you who are baptized today, life is different now. It's different now. And what you just did here in baptism is you're showing everyone that your life is now different. You can tell people, expect different from me. Because I have accepted the gift. I have accepted the atoning blood of Christ for my sins, his blood on the cross. No, you don't have to turn your life around to go to heaven. You don't have to. But let me tell you something. As long as you don't, as long as you hold on, life's gonna be a struggle. It is because you're trying to put sin and Jesus into the same heart. They don't belong together. They don't exist well together at all. You wonder where that spiritual conflict is coming from. There it is. We just found it. We just uncovered it. When you're trying to put sin and Jesus into the same heart, there's going to be conflict. Will you pray with me this morning?